minimalists. <laughs> Hello, Patreon. Welcome to live stream 16. If you're watching this, well, then you're watching it on this camera. Yeah. If you're listening to this, you're listening to it maybe a few weeks after we recorded it. But thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. Yeah. You sent in your questions. You upvoted them. And we have them here. We're going to answer your questions. The first one today do it. on Ask the Minimalist Anything. The first question is uh, from Connor. A recurring comment that gets made in discussion with other minimalists, be it talking about finances, gift giving, or contribution, is, quote, they should teach that at school. So mm. kids never start off on the path of a consumer-oriented, less meaningful life. What are your thoughts on whether or not there is a place for minimalism slash intentional living in education? Yeah. Well, dude, I think when we get asked to do any like college speaking events, man, those are like, that's the biggest honor, man. Cause, cause I think it is important to teach kids that. And in fact, um, the first college we ever talked at, I believe was MSU, right? It was, uh, it was, um, MSU where? I'm sorry. In, is it not MSU? The one in Missoula? Uh, U of M. Oh, U of M. Oh, yeah. MSU is in Bozeman. Yeah. U of M is in Missoula. Anyway, um, we got asked to talk to a business school. So it's not even oh, like, yeah. it's not even like we got asked to, you know, hey, share us about how you guys became writers. Share us about, uh, share with us how you guys became entrepreneurs. Um, we had a, we had a gentleman there who was the director of the business school ask us to come out and to teach his graduating uh, uh, graduate class. They, mm -hmm. These were these were people getting their master's in business. They wanted us to talk to them about how to do business responsibly and how to live responsible lives. And yes, I think it should be taught much earlier yeah. than someone who's getting a master's degree. Um, uh, but yeah, there's certainly room for it in schools now. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to put together a curriculum and start pitching different schools. But, but, you know, we don't have to go to school to, to teach minimalism with our kids. Yeah. Um, it's not something that we have to put into a, a program. Um, it's something we could do on our own, something we could do uh, with our family with, without having a curriculum behind it. I'm really encouraged by the shift in our audience over the last several years. And we see a lot more kids showing up at our events. I say kids, you know, teenagers and, and even preteens will mm -hmm. drag their parents to our events. Uh, because when we first started, the, the audience skewed a lot older, people that were older than us. And now it's people who a lot of our audience is a lot younger than us. In fact, I think it's something like 60 plus percent of our audience is between the ages of 18 and 45. Mm. And, and so there is a younger audience, sort of millennial slash Gen X, younger Gen X audience. And, um, I'm really encouraged by that because it is people who are starting to ask these questions earlier on. But of course, it's never too late either. So yes, when we go talk to a college and they're the graduating class, like, yeah, is it too, is it, it would I like to get to them sooner when they're, when they're in fourth grade or 10th grade before they get to college? Yeah, of course. Mm. But the key is getting to them before they, they make the next decision. Mm -hmm. And that's also true for 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds. It's about living intentionally going forward. And now, whenever we go speak at a college, uh, we've done quite a few speaking gigs at colleges now, and whenever we do that, it's great because the burden of proof is really high. Mm. We're, we're forced to lay, we, we go in there and it's not our normal audience who's like excited to come see us. They're like either forced to be there or it's extra credit or maybe they're a little bit curious. But 
five minutes goes by, ten minutes go by, and you start to see these these light bulbs going off uh, yeah. over people's heads. Their facial expressions start to change. You realize like people start to get this. It's not just about letting go of everything. It's not about stark white walls. It's not about living with nothing. It's about living with enough. Yeah, living responsibly. Karam asks... How do you decide between needs and wants, or does it not matter when purchasing something? For example, I can't decide if I need or want a rain jacket. I could justify it. We were just talking about justify on the podcast we were recording. During heavy rain, it's nice to have, but do I really need it, and and can I justify its purchase? Well, um... Here's the thing. I've thought the same thing about a rain jacket. Now, I live in Los Angeles, and I could still justify having a rain jacket. Yeah. And the the truth is, I'm not going to use it regularly enough for it to make sense for me to have a yeah. rain jacket. But now, if you lived in Ohio... Right. It, even if I lived in Ohio, I wouldn't use it enough mm. to... But if I live... Even here, you might use it enough because maybe you're going out... Uh, to other places where it rains a lot and you're spending a lot of time outdoors in the rain. Mm. Even Ohio, I'm not going to spend time out in the rain, even if it is raining. Yeah. And so I don't need a rain jacket. Mm. An umbrella will suffice for me. Yeah. You know, it's funny, man. My jacket, when I when I buy a new jacket, I'm trying to think of the last time I bought a jacket. Actually, you bought me one a couple of years ago. Okay. The Levi's jacket. Oh, yeah. Um, but the reason why that's worked out so well is because it is water repellent. Mm. so it's like multi-purpose right. multi-function exactly so so for me uh when it comes to something like a rain jacket or w- when it comes to anything that i'm trying to bring into my life maybe the question that i start with is do i already have something in my life that i could use as a substitute yeah and there's also this uh on our website the five questions to ask before buying mm, and yeah. i think this will help you out a lot on um uh, uh karen with your purchase because yeah, you start with, with these questions and all of a sudden you realize the things that you thought you needed aren't even things you actually want right. when you go through this exercise. It's just theminimalists.com slash before if you if you check that out. There's some good questions to ask before you buy. So how do you decide between a neat a need a neat and a wand? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, how do you decide how do you decide between a neat uh, Oh my god, I did Brian, it. Brian, those are words, but I don't understand them strung together like that. How do you decide <laughs> a need from a want because yes like it is very easy like we said to justify something as a need Uh, we need a car well Mm. since we need a car and we're going to spend an hour a day in our car well then that we must you know buy the nicest car that we possibly can afford because we're going to spend an hour in there and when we're spending that hour we want to have the the best time in our car I mean that's for me like when things start to become a want absolutely and in fact we and and then it becomes uh, ju- junk eventually. So we we tend to delineate things into three categories. Mm. It's it's the the necessities, right? The mm. absolute true necessities, the essentials, right? Yeah. So essentials are category number one, mm. the things that all of us truly need. Yeah. And then there's the the wants or what we call the non-essentials, the things that add value to our lives. Yeah. And then the question is, can I afford it? And then is it necessary, right? Mm-hmm. What are the alternatives that I can use this money for? Yeah. And then the third category, which should be the smallest but tends to be the largest, is the junk. Yeah. How much uh, junk that we hold on to, the things that we bring into our lives because they add imaginary value, perceived value, but we don't actually get value from them. In fact, quite often the junk gets in the way and this raincoat might be 
junk because it might be. you may never use it. It might be this aspirational purchase. And mm. if something is an aspirational purchase, then yeah, because it looked great on a mannequin or looked great on a model in the Black Friday email that you got or whatever, yeah. doesn't mean that you're actually going to use it and get value from it. It's imaginary value. Yeah, I think the question to ask too is how difficult is your life going to be without it? Mm. And when I, and and I'm not talking about uh, just creating as little friction as possible because like we talk about often it is it is uh, quite useful sometimes to have a little bit of friction yeah. in our lives, but you know when I look at certain things I have to ask like is am I going to have a more meaningful life with or without this object is this obstacle is it going to create more pain uh, uh, if I don't have it or am I going to get more uh, you know, more pleasure if I do have this one thing in my life. I mean, th- those are the questions that I ask myself to kind of differentiate between needs and wants. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a great question to ask and it's an important question to ask. And if we're not asking these questions, then we are just going to consume on impulse. Yeah. Alex asks, how can I help my parents start the process of decluttering to the public eye? The house looks very clean and tidy. However, we have an attic a fairly large shop and even a house up the road that are all packed to the point mm. you can barely walk around with stuff that my parents barely use. Oh, wow. And to make matters worse, they are looking to get a new small building because my mom needs a place needs to put her arts and crafts. I decluttered my room last December and it has helped me tremendously. How can I help them start the process even though they constantly say, I'd like to, but I'm too busy right now. Mm. We'll have to wait to do that another day. Well, busy's an excuse. Right, right. Busy just means that it's not a priority of mine. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? That's okay. Yeah. Here's the thing. You can't force this onto them just like you can't force them to play polo. Right. If you, uh, all of a sudden, Alex, you're really excited about, you know, I started playing polo and I'm getting all these benefits. You can talk to them about the benefits of playing polo. Mm-hmm. Just like you can talk to them about the benefits of decluttering, mm. right? Yeah. The thing you shouldn't do is not, you should not judge them because they don't also want to play polo. Right. And right now, I know you don't mean to, Alex, but there is some judgment here where you're like, I've decluttered and my life is better and now I'm seeing... I'm seeing maybe their life would be better too. And you know what? Maybe it would. And the only way you can convey that is by showing them the the benefits, not by judging them, not by pointing the finger, but simply by saying, pointing the finger back at you and saying, here's how I have benefited from simplifying. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it has to do with health. Maybe you're contributing in a different way. Maybe you're calmer. You're less stressed. Maybe you're feeling lighter. Maybe having uh, the the fewer things in your room, Alex, is allowing you to realize that you didn't need as much as you thought that you already had enough in fact you had more than enough so the benefits are going to be different for you uh than than they are for your parents Mm -hmm. and then the question then is how do you convey what those benefits might be for them or said another way how might their life be better with less yeah alex the biggest thing you can do right now is support your parents as much as you can and uh that might mean supporting them not decluttering right there in the moment that doesn't mean to enable them but but ultimately if you want someone to uh if you want to move you know this metaphorical needle in the direction of of decluttering well the only way you're going to get your parents buy-in is by showing that you respect their wants and their needs and and showing that you do support their lifestyles now when they start bringing up decluttering those are your little windows 
Yeah, those they're are, asking for help. Yeah, at that those point. are little windows of opportunities, Alex, where you can say, "Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up." Yeah. You know what? This Saturday, I got free. Why don't we spend this Saturday decluttering that arts and crafts closet that you've been talking about decluttering? But ultimately, it's up to your parents. If there's not, I wish I could say, Alex, you know what you need to do, Alex. We've got three books. Uh, buy all three of those books and give them to your parents and make them read them. And we also have a documentary. Uh, make sure that they watch that documentary. And, and and that is going to be the perfect. There is nothing that you can do to force your parents into decluttering. They have to want to do it. It's very similar to uh, I've had to deal with a lot of, um, you know, not just my own addictions, but other people's addictions. And what I have found is that if someone is a drug addict and they need to go to rehab, mm. They're only going to go to rehab if they make the choice. You cannot force someone into rehab. I mean, maybe there are some court-ordered stuff, I guess, that eventually comes down to. But very rarely does that work yeah. when, when it is court-ordered. So ultimately, if your parents don't want help right now in this moment, well, then there isn't any way you can help them. So you're going to have to get a court order. <laughs> I think that's the answer, Alex. Next question. Uh, now, I, I think ultimately you're right. You can't help someone who doesn't want help. Or said another way, if someone's drowning you know, and they don't want to be saved, you have to s- step back. Now, if someone is asking yeah. for your help, but you ha- even then you have to be careful around drowning people because they may accidentally drown you as well. Yeah. And so when you, when, you, when you think about how they might benefit, show them the benefits. And then as Ryan said, when they open the door, that's when you offer a helping hand. Yeah. Katie says, I'm currently working in a job that I don't like. I have already minimized most of my life and I am working on achieving some financial goals such as getting out of debt and saving money. So that's important. Cause that's, a, that's, a, that's a good step. You have to get out of debt before you can save money. Mm. Uh, quite often we, we get that wrong. We try to save money while we're still in debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I change my career, I would need to take a significant drop in salary. Mm. Should I keep working at this job until I get out of debt or pursue a new career path? I mean, I think it kind of depends. Tell me what you think, Ryan. I think if, if the job that you're in, if you simply dislike it, but uh, it's a temporary uh, means to get to this end of paying off your debt, mm-hmm. then I say, great, stick with that. Work your plan to get out of debt. Have a plan so that you understand there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. However, if this corporation is making you doing something immoral or unethical or illegal, yeah. then of course you would want to get out of me immediately. If it, if it ultimately conflicts so far from your values mm-hmm. that it conflicts with the future version of yourself that you want to be, then you might have to get out. But mm-hmm. just like when you're getting off a highway, you need an exit ramp. So identify what your exit ramp is. And maybe it's not, it's not going to happen for two years. But if you know that exit ramp is coming up, you're going to feel a lot better about that journey than if you're just driving on the highway endlessly without a destination in sight. No, I totally agree. I think it depends on what is your plan. Is your plan to pay off debt as soon as possible? If that's the plan and your job is is not going against your values, it's not going against your beliefs, then yeah, maybe you do stick it out. I know that there are things, I mean, Josh and I just went to Brazil a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Josh, I know how much you love to fly, how much you love hotel rooms. You get oh. great sleep. Your back never, never hurts. Never. Right. So <laughs> there, it is, it is a pain in the ass to go to Brazil and give a talk. Now, ultimately, 
uh, I'm not bashing this talk that we gave. It was amazing, an amazing group of people. Uh, I feel like Josh and I added a ton of value to this crowd, but there was a lot of work that was involved in getting there, mm-hmm. and it was and it was uncomfortable. And ultimately, uh, Josh and I could have said no to that, but uh, but there's much more that came along with you know the travel and the hotel rooms. It was it was about spreading this this uh, story that we have. It was about spreading our message. It was about adding value to a, a lot of people who maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity to hear this story. So Josh and I, uh, we, we know what our mission is and this is, it is in total alignment with our mission. It is in alignment with our plan. So I would ask you, what is your plan? And then you should, uh, make a decision based off of what your plan is. And sometimes there's a lot of, there's discomfort on the road. As you Mm -hmm. mentioned, the, the travel, the, the, the flights, the, the sleeping, the, you know, the, just everything that's involved, the jet lag mm-hmm. of going to that place uh, when, when we do these things, this is the discomfort that's, that's associated. Would I much rather teleport there and just appear of and course. do the talk? Yes, that'd be great. Yeah. But that's not realistic. And so we have to figure out what is an acceptable level of discomfort so that we can get to where that we where it is we want to go. Mm-hmm. Leanne says, can you provide some very practical ways to ensure your daily actions align with your values? I don't know if I can provide very practical ways. Well, it's going to be different for everyone, right? Right. I mean, it's a, some, I know some people who they go to a church, you know, three times a week to make sure that they are in a constant mindset and uh, having constant reminders to live up to their values and beliefs. Um, Josh and I do not go to church several times a week. I mean, I think there are a lot of different... We don't go to church at all. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, unless it's like a wedding or a funeral, like I really don't go to church. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is, is you know, to it's not about what are, what are very practical for Josh and I. It's what are... I mean, we could talk about what's practical for us. Yeah. But ultimately... Um, you know, the person asking this question has to consider what is practical for them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think two things for me. One is start your day off with small successes mm-hmm. that, that pads your day. So like if you know what your actual priorities are, then start your day with some of those. For me, that's exercise, reading and writing. I like right. to do those three things in the morning. You're going to do them every day. Yeah. It, and, it, and yeah. and if I don't, then there's there's usually something wrong, or, or there's 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 some sort of wild exception, and and then I feel a bit out of alignment. But it also sets my day up for success, mm-hmm. so that if I want to work out later in the day, it's like, well, I get I, I have a second opportunity to, to do this now, and and I'm set up for success. The other one is what I would call simple triggers. There's an essay on our website uh, called Simple Triggers. It's just theminimalists.com/triggers, and quite often. Triggers are are good or, or bad. You know, sometimes if you have a bad habit, uh, maybe smoking is an example. If you finish a meal, well, that's the trigger to go smoke a cigarette. You wake up in the morning, that's a trigger to go smoke a cigarette. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that is a a trigger. Well, you can also flip those triggers and say, okay, for me, uh, pull ups is is a really good example. I have mm-hmm. a pull up bar underneath my my bathroom door, and every time I go to the bathroom, I just bust out six quick pull-ups and on an average day I do somewhere between 40 and 60 pull-ups as as a result because the trigger of just walking under that that doorway is a simple trigger and so you can set up new triggers in your life what are the triggers that are going to trigger the actions that you want to take and the only way you're going to know 
what they are is you have to first know what actions you actually want to take. What are your actual priorities? Uh, what, in fact, what are the lip service priorities right now? The things you say are priorities that you want to turn into everyday actions. Yeah, and the the only thing I would add to that, Josh, is get rid of as many distractions as possible. Because when I think about the times when I don't do uh, what I really want to do in a day, it's I get distracted somehow. Whether it's you know uh, email or whether it's uh, you know I'm not on Facebook anymore, but it used to be Facebook, or maybe it's uh, television, or maybe it was video games. Whatever whatever it is, what is distracting you? from putting these priorities first. Yeah, what are you saying yes to right now that you don't even realize you're saying yes to because yeah. it's, a, it's a pacifier. The TV thing is a great example, right? Because it's just like, it's easy. And we say yes to these easy things all the time because it's the path of least resistance. Right. And when something is that easy, it's, it, it, we, we just gravitate toward it. We go toward it because we want, we want to avoid the discomfort of the actual priorities, the actual actions, mm -hmm. the actual real work. Right. Finally, we have a question from Jane Marshall. Jane asks, I'm always the one to do things for others. At a family gathering, I'm the one expected to refill drinks, mind the children, clean up, etc. Mm. I never get to socialize. I want to be able to relax and enjoy the moment. How do I go about removing myself from those situations and in the nicest way possible, tell others to take care of their own needs? Mm. Well, you've got to ask for help. I mean, it's hard to ask for help sometimes, um, especially uh, when we've set the expectation that we don't need help. I think that's a key word. I, I think sometimes we accidentally, uh, not sometimes, most of the time, we accidentally set these expectations. Mm -hmm. And then we have to realize that pressure she's feeling right now. Jane says, I'm the one expected to refill drinks, mind the children, and clean up. Now, who's expecting that of you? My guess is you might be the one who's expecting that of you right now, Jane. Mm. And you feel that pressure, but 99% of the pressure you feel might be internalized. Now, there might be some people have unrealistic expectations, but maybe you set those expectations, mm -hmm. and now it's your job to readjust those expectations and, and form. It's not just removing the expectations, it's forming new expectations. And yeah. what you just said is key. The way you form new expectations is by asking other people to help, asking other people to step up. Yeah, Jane, think about who you are adding value to the most in these situations. Who, who are you really, really supporting the most Personally, I would go to that person and I would say, hey, you know what? For the last however many years, however many events, um, I've, I've gone out of my way to fill drinks, to take care of the kids, to clean up, and it's really, really taking a toll on me. I could really, really use your help with X and Y or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, but, but find the people who you have added the most value to, and if they love you, and if they want to uh, support you back and add value back to your life, they're going to be more than happy to help you uh, take some of this weight off your shoulders. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter, a subscriber to our Patreon yes, channel. Yes, indeed. We're really grateful. Um, stay tuned. We've got a lot of really great things coming in the new year, and uh, we're grateful that you are here. We'll see you next time. See you next time. The Minimalists. <laughs>